Welcome to Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined this week, as ever, by senior writer Liel Leibowitz. Ahalan wa And deputy editor Stephanie Butler. I feel like I can never top what he does. It's really annoying. What languages do you know? Emoji. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it doesn't work on the radio. <laughs> totally does. It totally does. Smiley face, smiley face, purple devil poop. Poop. Right. <laughs> Later in the show, we'll be talking with our guest Jew, Rebecca Vilkomirson. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but she'll tell us. Uh, who is the executive director of Jewish Voice for Peace, highly controversial organization of Jews. And with guest Gentile Mike Albo, who is not controversial at all. He does funny, funny things. He's in an improv, sketchy comedy group. He writes. He's... Well, the New York Times found him controversial. They, that's true. The Times fired Mike Albo for having taken a junket to... Uh, Jamaica, which kind of made Mike famous. It, I, it either was the worst or the best career thing that ever happened to him because he's dined out on that story ever since. On, on matters such as this, the Times has uh, very high standards, yeah. ethical standards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first, some news of the Jews. Bernie Sanders just keeps on rolling. He's trying to be the first Jewish president. I'm going to frame his campaign from here on out as he's just trying to be the first Jewish president. It's not about social democracy or democratic socialism or Ben and Jerry's. It's just trying to get a brother into the White House. You could see it like that if you, if you want to. Would that would that no. Would that can. open up your wallet, Liel? For, no. For you Bernie? can see it like that, but I don't think he sees it like he that. He doesn't. Um, Iran released some prisoners and was welcomed back into the world community. I keep H- hostages. reading hostages. I can, <laughs> I keep reading that Iran has been welcomed back into the world community, which I feel like did they get a hug? Did they no, was they, there got, a, they got a hundred billion dollars? <laughs> <laughs> That's a much better hug. And a, and a pat on the back. Was there a party? I also wonder if when you're released There is a party. There's a party in Syria, <laughs> there's a party in the embassy of Saudi Arabia. A lot of a lot of parties Iran is throwing recently. When you're released from sanctions jail and you go back on the outside, is it like Orange is the New Black where they give you the same sweats that you checked in with back in the 80s and you have to find a place to live and, you know, you, you're on food stamps? And... Like, excuse me, uh, <laughs> I, I checked in 8,000 S-400 missiles. I will need them back now. Yeah. Also they... two centrifuges. And also they... five aircraft carriers. But Netanyahu says it's all on Israel now. He says he's on top of it. It is. It is. And he is. And God he bless. Is. Mr. Prime um, Minister. That's the second most important story to talk about this week. The first most important, of course, is that hotel heiress Nikki Hilton is pregnant with the child of banking heir James Rothschild. Rothschild. Um, there's something so sad about eighth generation members of once august dynasties. Like at I this think there's point, something definitely sadder about the Hilton dynasty, like where it is now, than the Rothschilds, because we don't know anything about the Rothschilds today. We don't. We know. Arguably way too much about the Hiltons. Yeah. Well, that's the well, silly role. Circling the globe from Tehran to wherever the Rothschilds get married to France. Over in France this past week, uh, two French women, a Jew and a non-Jew, started a social media campaign aimed at getting everyone, especially non-Jews, to wear yarmulkes, quote, in response to the advice that Jews should remove their quote so as not to be targets of anti-Semitic attacks. In other words, this is like the famous stories about the the Gentiles who wore yellow stars uh, so that the Jews would not be alone in wearing yellow stars and not be so easily identified by the Nazis. Um, this, I, uh, many, this is not a great idea to have a nation full of kippah wearers, I don't think. But more to the point, it's not really even... Most Jews don't wear them. That's the thing. I think if you want to do something which shows your solidarity with Jews, like don't put on a yarmulke. To do something more profound. Call your mother. You know, they should have like a day in which all French people stop and call their mothers in solidarity with Jews everywhere. So they that should, would resonate. They should do things that real that what real Jews do. Not that not that Yamakors aren't real Jews, right. it's just that they're a tiny subset. You know what? Go on WebMD. 
all of France <laughs> go and WebMD. Or like, up. And like look up diseases that you think you have. That You're like, strange headache in a weird part of my brain. Exactly. Right. Stephanie, what, what do you think they should do? Um, maybe like, don't eat pork, but eat some shellfish. Right, or <laughs> only eat pork when it's masked in... Yeah. In Chinese rice. Chinese yeah. rice, exactly. Make a big deal about Jewish celebrities. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be great if everyone throughout France was like, ah... Qui est juif? Ah, les... <laughs> Qui est juif? Qui est juif? Nathalie Portman. Qui sont les juifs? <laughs> Nathalie Portman. So they're, you're basically giving up our act to them. Yeah. <laughs> we won't even be able to spot each other anymore if, if everyone's acting like that. Um, we have a special treat this week. Hey, you there? Yeah. How are you? Good. Good. Okay, tell us, how do we say your name? Gilly. And what's your last name? Bailey. Bailey. That doesn't sound Jewish at all. What kind of Jewish name is Bailey? Um... It's not really Jewish at all. It, my great grandfather was from Poland, ah. and his last name was Bialystok. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that that wins. That wins. Well, Gilly Bialystok, but... welcome to Unorthodox. <laughs> right. So, Gilly Bialystok, it, you are the grandson of Tablet Magazine's publisher Morty Landown. Uh, yeah. We're, we know that you have a joke for us, which you're going to tell us in a moment. But first, what kind of grandfather is Morty? Is he is he a loving grandfather? Does he does he dandle you on his lap? Does he give good hugs? Um, an awesome grandfather. Really? Um, he gives you basically anything you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... that's a good grandpa. <laughs> and where where are you right now? Where do you live? I live in Efrat in Israel. Okay, you live in Efrat. So uh, now I understand that you have a joke for us. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, take it away. Knock, knock. Who's there? The Holocaust. The Holocaust who? You said you'd never forget. (laughs) (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the new generation of unorthodox (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Gilly Bailey from Efrat. Uh, you just became a, a bar mitzvah not long ago, right? Yeah. All right. Well, Mazel Tov. We we think you are absolutely a thousand percent ready for Jewish manhood. You have arrived. <laughs> Gilly, thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> that is a great joke. <laughs> we corrupt the minds of the young. How I'm so worried. Who's that? worried about Jewish continuity? Like that? I'm for fun. <laughs> Our Jewish guest today is Rebecca Vilkomerson. I said that right? You said it perfectly. She is the executive director of Jewish Voice for Peace, a nonprofit with 61 chapters across the country and 205,000 online supporters. What's an online supporter? Um, Someone who signed one of our petitions or is on our mailing list. Got it. Okay. She's been a member of JVP since 2001. She lived in Israel from 2006 to 2009 and now lives in the occupied territory known as Brooklyn with her husband and two daughters, one of whom is preparing for her bat mitzvah. She certainly is. So what is Jewish Voice for Peace, Rebecca? Well, Jewish Voice for Peace is we're a membership organization. And, you know, the sort of elevator speech we give is that we're inspired by Jewish tradition to work for equal rights, human rights, um, and justice for all the people of Israel and Palestine. And so we do that in lots of different ways, um, you know, which includes things like fighting Islamophobia here in the United States. It includes BDS campaigns, which is a nonviolent civil society call from Palestine asking people to boycott, divest, and sanction Israel um, until the occupation is over, as well as 
right of return and full and equal human rights for Palestinian um, Israelis. Um, but we do all kinds of things. We do arts and culture work. We do legislative work. We do um, we have a council of rabbis. We have a council of artists. We have so you know it's it's really become a community and a home um, for Jews who feel very alienated from the mainstream Jewish community. So. JVP gets a lot of hate from the wider Jewish community. And some people in this room. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> we, will, we will soon get to is that. It, is, it, is it me? With great pleasure. It is you, Stephanie. <laughs> so, um, what, first of all, how bad is the hate? I don't know how you quantify it. I don't know if there's like hatrons. Or, oh. But how bad is it and what's it, what's it like? Tell us I mean, qualitatively the, the hateration you get. I mean, I have a hate file. Um, so where I put all my hate mail. Um, and it's, you know, we get emails calling us capos. You know, there's a lot of very ugly, ugly rhetoric out there. To me, that is not reflective of what I like to think of as the Jewish community. And so I have my synagogue in Brooklyn, which welcomes me. I have my Jewish community that welcomes me. And I sort of try to stay in that bubble, to be honest. So the hate mail comes from other Jews? Almost entirely the hate mail comes from other Jews, from right-wing Jews. Yeah. You know, and I find it, you know, there's something about it that's surprising and kind of hard. Like, we're talking about supporting nonviolent rights for all people. We're talking about justice issues. To me, those are deeply Jewish values. Um, so it's surprising. Well, let me then uh, add to, to the hate file with a question, not, not a comment. We mentioned your daughters earlier. Uh, here's a question, and I do mean this in earnest. Uh, say, God forbid, uh, one of them came down with a grave illness, which was treatable uh, with a medicine manufactured in Israel. Does BDS still apply? That's a, first of all, seriously offensive question to put my daughters and their lives at stake. I am, but just, I am to, just so you know, um, the BDS call does not function in that way. The BDS call says to that we we run campaigns, we, we target companies. Um, Nobody is trying to say like anyone's life should be sacrificed in in behalf of. No, the uh, company this is cause. manufacturing a drug, that, and you boycott the company, therefore you boycott. I mean, all it's of its... just not the purpose of you know the purpose is to really what we is to say that any you know anything that's sold in the United I just I, I don't quite know how to answer a question about a medicine, but in short, no. Um, but I think you're this sort of no meaning picky... you would not boycott. An essential if medicine. I was in the situation where my daughter was dying and I needed to get her medicine, no, I would not boycott. If that makes me a hypocrite, then I'm okay with that. Okay. But I also have to say that to, to that to ask that kind of question, which is like a really nitpicky, kind of irrelevant question that doesn't at all engage with the issues of what's happening in Israel, but tries to try try to do a gotcha moment, seems to me really not quite fair. All right, then let me ask I another. Mean, I just say a thing. Like on the way over here, the two things that I read in the subway over here, one was an article about the Israeli government, which it turns out has been spying on the leading human rights law firm in Israel, going through their garbage, breaking client um, attorney privilege in order to try to get them. And yesterday, Ambassador Shapiro came extremely close to calling Israel an apartheid state. So I would say rather than sort of trying to do these little gotcha moments, what I would try to do is engage with the issues behind BDS and whether we as Jews should be standing up for the rights of Palestinians. Well, I will say that the Palestinians have engaged with the rights of BDS. Abbas publicly opposed it on numerous occasions and then arrested some BDS activists. But let me ask you a different right, question. Abbas, I mean, the pa- Palestinian Authority cooperates with the Israeli government. I mean, that's not oh, right. a they're, they're also evil. Do, do we boycott their products, too? No, the call, no. Why I mean, not? what products are there from the Palestinian if they Authority? Collaborate what with, exactly are I, the I products know, from the Palestinian Authority? I know. Authority? What do they make? But here's another question along these lines. Um, do you have an iPhone, something like that? I do. This is, these are, like, really silly questions. Are you, yes, are you boycotting uh, products made in China? 
It's a very oppressive regime. It is a very oppressive regime. You know, there's lots of different countries that there's terrible problems in the world. And in general, what I try to do is um, focus stick on, to my focus stick, on one. Just stick to my principles. I have principles consistently across the world, right? And, and including in the United States. I have very deep criticism of lots of different things. There's different parts of my life. I've been very active on human rights in Guatemala. I've been very involved in welfare rights here in the United States. So why not boycott Hold on China? one second. Hold BDS on one second. China, it's great. Well, the problem with BD, the they make that, a lot of stuff. Yeah. The, here's the thing. BDS, a, a boycott and divestment sanction movement is only effective if there's a movement behind it. If there was a group of Chinese people who were calling for boycott and were making that and were asking that connected to very specific conditions, I would certainly do that. There have been other products from other countries or like Arizona when it was doing, when it was, when it was, I forget, what, what were they doing? Was it a gay thing? It was a gay thing. It was a gay thing. It was <laughs> a gay just thing. just a lucky guess, But Mark. you know what I mean? Like we all, like Can we all, say, there's we so all many- make it. There's so many good reasons not to at Arizona. Sure. One hardly needs a yes, reason. Yes, exactly. Like, so I mean, I'll just, go bake you know, I think the, the point is that we all use our, you know, economic power to make choices, but that doesn't mean we all, all the time, have to boycott everything that we feel bad about. You, you do have to pick and choose. Right. In other words, we're singling out one country specifically for opprobrium. No, I, I, I mean, I, I think this is one. Name for that historically. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, you're funny. Yeah. yeah. I, I <laughs> strive. So the. Was that your phone, Liel? It was. Turn off your phone. It was Natalia so, on the Colin, phone. Colin, so, congratulate I mean, me for so, let, my good Hasbara work here. You're, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're real brave. So one of the places BDS is sort of taking hold is on college campuses. Right. And I was wondering why why that is. What draws college students to this issue? It's so, so interesting to me that there are, you know, there are campus chapters of all these groups, and yeah. that's where we see a lot of, a lot of the, the, at least the press coverage about, you know, Things like Israel Apartheid Week and stuff like that. How did that happen? Well, in terms of the press coverage, you guys would know better than me about what people choose to focus on. But um, do you have have dark theories about how we decide? Sometimes. Um, (laughs) A lot of it has to do with like, I have twenty minutes till deadline. What has good web links that will make my typing easier? Thank you for confirming some of my suspicions. But I mean, I think you know it reflects what's happening in the in the Jewish community and a real shift generationally. And so, what's happening is that young people. Uh, women, African-American, largely are more and more critical of um, what they see happening in Israel. It certainly makes sense. The Israeli occupation started in 1967. So college students only know Israel as an occupying power. They weren't around post-Holocaust. They weren't around when Israel was making, you know, in quotes, making the desert bloom, all that sort of thing. So it makes sense that their experience with Israel is much less of a one of socialism and kibbutzim and much more of one of like of of occupation. And so I think, you know, it's it's a it's something that's shifting. And I also think the BDS movement actually is doing a lot to build this campus movement because one thing that's nice about the BDS movement is that it allows people not just to be educated on the issue, but to actually then take action. So it's great if you're a college student, you can create a campaign, you can focus on what's happening in your college in particular and ask your college to divest from different kinds of funds. And a lot of college students, for example, are not limiting themselves to divesting from companies that are profiting from the occupation. They're also asking their colleges to divest from um, prisons or to divest from um, companies that are causing environmental damage and that sort of thing. So it's a sort of intersectional, if I may say, approach to the issues. I differ from Liel. I think it's obvious in that I don't think that, correct me if I'm mischaracterizing your position, Liel, but I don't think that BDS is inherently anti-Semitic. Is that a difference from your position? My position is that it is absolutely it is absolutely okay. so. I I don't think I don't think that's true. Like I think people should boycott whatever they want, and and ideology may attach to it or may not. I do know a lot of rhetoric coming from some parts of the movement strikes me strikes my Judar as the rhetoric of anti-Semites, which is to say, I don't think everyone who supports boycotting, divesting from, or sanctioning Israel is an anti-Semite. But I think anti-Semites probably like it a lot. And one of my misgivings about the movement is that I imagine that if I were in it, I'd be 
rubbing shoulders with lots of people who fundamentally don't like Jews or don't understand Jews. Um, does that ever? Do you ever feel that you're in that situation? Where I mean, guys, if you lost Mark Oppenheimer, there really is no hope for this movement. <laughs> <laughs> what every movement needs is a Mark Oppenheimer, right? Um, a sort of vaguely center-left, wishy-washy. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm about to say. Wishy-washy guy with no <laughs> money to keep. You Tiva wearing with no money Tiva to give. Exactly. Tiva wearing has to leave every meeting by eight o'clock to put his kids to bed. So, do you ever find in the movement like, ooh, I kind of wish this person weren't in it? I mean, that's probably all movements, but how much do you feel that? I mean, and that happens, and that has happened. We have actually made a move, sometimes publicly and sometimes privately, to say we're not going to work with these people. And I think, you know, we take... Like who? We like take, who? who don't you? Yeah. I would actually rather not talk about that. Um, See, but, I think that'd but be you really... could go to my web... If you, if you wanted to, you could find out. It's not... See, it's I think not, that'd be really public. interesting. Like, why yeah. not? What does it take... Hold on. Okay, let's, let's, let's respect that. Uh, what does it take to cross the line, as far as you're concerned? Look, what is anti-Semitic is, always, is also clearly always a judgment call. Your definition no, no, is very no, different what, what from mine. What do I have to do to get you to boot me out of Somebody, your camp? Someone who is making remarks about Jews as Jews as opposed to the policies of the Israeli government. And I think it's extremely important. It's actually extremely important if we're thinking about the safety and security of the Jewish community worldwide, that we make a distinction between advocating against a government of a country and advocating against a people. And they are not one. Okay, it's not like Netanyahu says, where he represents all the Jews of all the world. That's simply quantitatively not true. And so if you are making statements about Jews or the characteristics of Jews, then you are not welcome in our movement. And if you are advocating against the policies of a government, then you are. And I will say my daughter's, you know, who you tried to put to death earlier? Um, you know, there is really citizens. There is really citizens. I think that what I'm doing, I'm doing for the future um, of Israel. I'm deeply invested in Israel personally. I will not every single person in JVP is, but I think that we we come to it from a position of um, wanting it to be a better place and. The last thing I really want to say about it is that the leadership of the BDS movement has been extremely clear about denouncing anti-Semitism. And we would not be working with them if we did not have trust that they are talking from a place of universal values. Well, I support. Uh, I suppose that uh, at least one of them, Omar Barghouti, learned those values in Tel Aviv University where he graduated. But let me ask you a, a question about your vision for Israel. So you support what? How do you see the future of Israel? I mean, I think it's pretty simple. I just, It's about consistency. In the United States, we as a Jewish minority have an interest in equal citizenship. We have an interest in seeing all people treated in the same way. I think we certainly have an interest in not perpetuating or being part of or being implicated in military uh, occupations or in um, unnecessary wars. I, for example, am extremely against um, the drone attacks that have been happening in Muslim countries by our own government. Um, I've gone to protest against them and that sort of thing. And so I think I want to hold Israel to the same standards as I hold the United States. Okay. Actually, um, so why I, not BDS America? It's yeah. Well, I mean, I actually, I'm good. actually more interested in her question about in your question about how does she envision the future of Israel? Like, I, yeah, but I, I also want. You're right. And so why many not questions. BDS, why not be so popular? <laughs> we do so many bad things. Why, and we live yeah, here. We're I mean, look, yes, why there's not, lots. We I mean, boycott the country you, can't you live boy, in. You can't why boycott not? the country. You well, have you to buy stuff. Actually, like, actually, Israel, well, actually, you know. Israel, actually, Israelis are not expected. Israelis who are sympathetic to the BDS movement are not expected to boycott Israeli products because it's simply impossible. You could say the same thing about the U.S. But certainly, I think I at least am spending lots of time and have spent lots of time in my life 
maybe boycotting, and boycotting is not the only way to get things done, right? But lots of times doing political work to try to change American policies that I think are wrong. So it, to me, it's all of a piece. So now, wait, what was your question? Well, again? I want to go back to, I think Liel had a great question, which was the future Thank of Israel. You, and so, <laughs> so some people would say, look, if you have full, full Palestinian right of return, and then if you were to um, have what you would call full democratic rights for right. everyone living under Israeli rule, right? It would be, it would now or soon be a Muslim majority country. Um, or that's certainly one possibility, right? It would cease to be a demographically Jewish state, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have confidence that it would be a safe haven for Jews in that if, if that happened? I does have, that worry you at all? It does worry me. I have I have hope. Um, and I think that, you know, I think part of the thing is that we need to we need to act from our hopes, not from our fears. And if we know that the we're right at the point of 50 percent um, Jews and non-Jews in in the in the territories that Israel um, controls at this point, And it's going to tip the other way for sure very soon to being um, majority Muslim to majority being majority Muslim. So we're either in a situation where Israel is um, a country that is based on ethnic supremacy and, su- and suppressing the rights of more than 50% of its population, which certainly sounds extremely terrible, um, or in a situation where we are working towards a future where all people can be equal and Jewish communal rights are an integral part of that state, and, be, you know, and that could take many different forms, I would much rather work towards the hopeful future rather than the dystopian future. And you know, if at some point in the future I need to change my position, then I, then I would, and I would fight for the rights of, you know, of Jews. But I'm not going to I'm not going to buy into a Jewish supremacist um, vision where we have um, where we're we're suppressing the rights of more than half of the population, um, you know, and justify it by my fears. Something that makes this issue, I think, so sort of like squishy for Jews is that like it feels like you're going against something that you're supposed to be supporting. Yeah. Like it feels sort of yeah. counterintuitive and it makes people, I think, just sort of profoundly uncomfortable. The yes. idea that you would yes. oppose on such a grand scale. I mean, how does how does that work within, I guess, for you personally or yes. for people in the group? I think it's so hard. There's no doubt that's so hard. And almost everyone I know who is active, not everybody, but almost everyone I know has gone through a pretty difficult emotional journey around it. And, you know, I could, if we had more time, I could tell my story. And I think most people have a story about that. And I think the most important thing to say is that it's very important to be clear about the difference between discomfort and anti-Semitism or discomfort and oppression. Because yes, it is uncomfortable, but that does not mean that we're being attacked. It does not mean that our um, Jewishness is being attacked. It does not mean that people are against the Jews. It just means that we're going through an uncomfortable intellectual exercise, intellectual and emotional exercise. I mean, I think part of what makes this so hard is, like you said, many of us were brought up on a lot of different stories and were brought up to believe that, especially if we were less observantly Jewish, I think, then Israel has sort of become the substitution for Judaism in the American Jewish community. And so it's very, very hard. It feels like you're negating your Jewishness in order to because you and supporting Israel is the way that you are Jewish. Um, But, you know, it's also a matter of looking at the facts. And if you I think it's about values. And so if you care about the people who live in Israel, whether Jewish or not Jewish, um, you know, then you, you draw your conclusions and then hopefully you take action. Rebecca Vilkomerson. Well said. Thanks for coming in. Thanks All so right. much for having me. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. And now our world-famous feature, Gentile of the Week. We have a serious Gentile here. Are you Italian, Mike? Is that Alba? I am. Alba. Okay, that's, that's... Well, that's kind of... They're kind of the Jews of Gentiles. Yeah. But... Yeah. Mike Albo is a writer, performer, humorist, comedian. 
This is just another way of saying you're totally broke, isn't it? <laughs> like every You don't even know how broke I am. <laughs> Do you, would you like a free coffee? <laughs> His first novel uh, was called Hornito. From 2007 to 2009, he wrote the New York Times style section's critical shopper column until he was fired for having gone to Jamaica in a story that is provided. Have you ultimately made money on that story or lost money? Like, which is the fact that you were fired for taking the free trip? Was it Jamaica? It was to Jamaica. To Jamaica. Like, that lost you, what, seven or eight hundred bucks every month, other week? Every other week. It lost me about six, yeah, like say $1,600 a month. $1,600 a yeah. month. But you got a performance but, show out of it and a book and a... Sure. I don't know if it's it's equaled out in terms of income. I did have something happen to me recently that showed me that it has hindered people from hiring me. I had this gig and then someone um, told me, oh, they, they can't use you because of what happened at the Times. It's, it was kind of crazy. Oh, anyway, I mean, the landscape of American journalism is such a pristine, ethically <laughs> and professionally. I know. Just a, a, a mutt like you, you just don't fit in <laughs> right. with these people. Come on. I know. Yeah. Everyone's so clean in that world. Um, speaking of clean, your second Kindle single <laughs> released last year was called Spermhood, Diary of a Donor, which I think is self-explanatory. Uh, <clears throat> it's about helping a couple lesbians have a baby, which you did. So you have a child now? I do. Muscle top. Uh, and you have a, a show based on that de- debuting in May. Yes, I'm working on it now. I'm transforming the ebook into a script, which is what I did with the, with the junket as well. I did the junket as an ebook. I'm, I sound like Hannah Horvath, don't I? Um, <laughs> and uh, then. I knew I liked you. <laughs> then, is John Cameron Mitchell your editor? Oh my God, that'd be so weird. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I did it uh, as a show and went off Broadway last two years ago uh, at the Lynn Redgrave Theater. So I want to, well, there's so many things to ask you about since you have so many underpaid professions. Um, <laughs> but you wrote in, in Spermhood, Diary of a Donor, quote, I adore women, but more specifically, I think lesbians are sublime. Now that's, I've known a lot of gay men in my time. And, um, you know, some of them have no, no use for lesbians whatsoever. They, yeah. think, they think lesbians actually give gays a bad name. Did you always know that, like as a young gay boy, yeah. were you into the sort of, gayish girls as friends yes i was first of all all i did was hang out with girls i've always i'm like a woman trapped in a man's body or something but i think i'm a lesbian trapped in a gay man's body (laughs) um i don't there is a lot of misogyny in in the gay community that really grosses me out and i don't like those kind of gays that are just like i don't this happens to me a lot uh some gay guy will be like you have a lot of lesbian friends i'm like then they make this gross look on their face i'm like what's wrong with you of course i do lesbians are awesome Mm -hmm. i agree i mean they well so they don't like women. Is that basically what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, they're sort of freaked out by them or something. How's being a dad? <laughs> it's fun. I have to say, I don't know if I could call myself a dad because I'm not there day-to-day doing day-to-day things. That makes two of us. <laughs> and I, have, I have full claims on the title, so go ahead. Oh, that's good to know. That yeah. actually makes me feel more yeah. comfortable. Um, How old's the baby now? She's about two and a half. Wow. So, I mean, how does that function? Like, what's the, How much of a role do you have, and is it the role you thought you'd have? Um, I think it's not my job yet until, um, until she's a little older, like when she wants to know what the human centipede is and, um, and, you know, like <laughs> go to the Cronenberg retrospective or something, I'll totally take her. But, uh, so we're talking like five or six years yeah, old. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, did you ever think you wanted to be a dad? No. And again, I'd... I'll use dad in, in inverted commas as the Brits would say. Yeah, no, I, um, I didn't think I deserved it. And that's sort of what spermhood's about. I I think I grew up as a gay guy thinking that I wasn't supposed to have any family um, and that it was not something I should ever want. 
And I think it's almost like gay marriage. It's like this ideology that's just sort of washing over this whole population. Um, it's sort of the same kind of feeling. It's like, oh, I deserve to love somebody. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it's all sort of uh, new. You grew up in Virginia, yes? I did. You, like, you grew up in like... No, I grew up in like northern Virginia. Like Washington. I should be like, I did. Like it was like <laughs> Beltway crap. Yeah. And what did you think of Jews growing up? Did you think anything of us? I did not really know. I had one Jewish friend and went to one bar mitzvah when I was like 13 or whatever. That's as many as I went to. I, um, I had name, almost no Jewish friends. Yeah, his name was Brian. He was so nice. And I didn't really understand where I was going. And my parents were like, you're going to a party. And like, um, I didn't really understand what Jewish people were until I moved to New York, honestly. And then, boy, did I get an education. Those New York values. Yep. What do you mean by that, that then you got an education? Um, well, when we get to the questions I'm, I'm supposed to ask. Um, you, have I, a, you have a doozy for us? I Well, I, well let's go to it. Okay. Um, well, sometimes on stage when I'm doing like a stand-up routine, one of my lines is, I'm not Jewish, but I've had a lot of Jewish in me. And um, <laughs> I find Jewish men to be really good in bed. They're like sex monsters in bed. And I just wonder if what your guys thoughts are about that first of all slow clap for uh jewish gay <laughs> jewish guys like wow congrats. Yeah. thank you mike <laughs> gay so, jewish guys i wonder represent. i wonder if this this has, is a weird moment where actually the people who will be talking will be stephanie and mike for a while now yeah well so i wonder if this is somehow the inversion of that like long-held stereotype of like the jewish woman is this like lascivious character and the jewish male is sort of like not very manly right like mm. in that in that an, emas- an emasculated yes, an emas- loser? Is yes, that where you're basically. going for there, Stephanie? So I wonder if something is happening where, you know, absent the Jewish woman or absent the woman, maybe. I don't know. There's like some sort of reclaiming of a Jewish masculinity. What do you think about hmm. that? Interesting idea. What do you think about that? There's no like ranting Jewish woman there to, to stop them. To cut our balls off, basically. Yeah. Like without a woman there to make us feel emasculated. Am I being anti-feminist right now? <laughs> you're being anti-Semitic. <laughs> I'm definitely being a little anti-Semitic. Bit of both. No, but I'm just saying if we're playing on these like classic... Bad right. trope. Is that, I don't even know if, is that the stereotype of the J- Jewish male? Like, oh, is that, yes, of. that would be that. Is that they're sort of mama's boys, sexless mama's boys, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Well, I feel uh, in my just unofficial, you know, research um, that the Jewish gentlemen that I've had fun with are eager. I would say the word is eager in a good way. So maybe that sort of fits the stereotype. I think we're, if I'm to be, if I'm to be, truthful about this. I think there's, in America anyway, there's probably, we're not one of the more inhibited ethnic groups. So uh, let me say this, for example, I think that the Jewish baby boomers I know, if you talk to people of my parents' generation, they're more like, they're more capable of frank conversation with each other, with their children and so forth. Um, And that probably translates, though, this is the last thing I ever want to think about into there being generally more sex positive, more uh-huh. more good giving in game yeah. than, um, you know, the Irish Catholics in the town I grew up in. Right. I'm just guessing. I, I, I think it's that. But I think it's also, you know, there's this all really great Jackie Mason joke. And she says, you know, if you tell a, a, a non-Jewish woman she's a prostitute, she'd get, you know, more, you know, morally offended. You tell a Jewish woman she looks like a prostitute, she'd be like, really? You would pay for this? <laughs> I think it's the same thing. Like, really? You want to fuck me? <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> Why not? I'll take any attention I could get. Um, Mike, final question before we go. So w- where can people catch your show in May? Uh, Dixon Place uh, in May. Where's Dixon Place? It's on Christie Street in the Lower East Side. Listeners, if you do not buy tickets right now, then you are homophobic and yeah. anti-Semitic. Totally. like. Totally. Yeah. And... Um, uh, and what, as a as a downtown New York gay, Jew-loving, bearded 
sweater wearing scenester. <laughs> What's good right now? Like what besides your own work? Should people be reading, seeing? What's good right now? Asked the man with four daughters who gets out of the house <laughs> that I'll never get to. What's good right now two, that I'll two never hours see? Two a month. Um, well, uh, my friend's doing this show called "The Way We Were" at Joe's Pub on February third, and it's a bunch of people showing videos from at least ten years ago of themselves. Uh, so it's like embarrassing videos, it's sort of like cringe-worthy videos of themselves, and then they have to sort of respond to it. So I'm just glad that the way we were is not Streisand related, <laughs> because and we'll have you back on. Are you not? In, are you? Are you one of the gay men who's into Streisand? Mm, no, no, I'm not. I'm, I really don't understand that. It's I actually, don't. My divas and the and the typical gay divas don't intersect. Who too are much. yours? Kate Bush. Amazing. Uh, Natalie, yeah. Natalie Merchant. I know that's a weird one. No, I, but, totally. Um, I'm sort of see. I'm lesbian. I'm not <laughs> gay. You okay, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen? Our lesbian gentile of the week, Mike Albo. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. So nice to be here. Before we go, any Mazel Tovs, prayers of the week, congratulations, Stephanie? I have a, a Mazel Tov for Liel, or should I say Lyle. Um, his line about um, Rupert Murdoch and Jerry Hall led both of my parents to call me and say it was the funniest thing they had ever heard. I don't even but, remember it. What was it? Like, you can't always get what you... It was his Mazel Tov last week. It was like, oh, you can't always get what you want joke about <laughs> And when both, when both of your parents called you, the first I was impression like, was, who died? How, how many people died today that, like, both <laughs> my parents are calling me? And they're like, I really like Lyle's joke. And I was like, yeah, me too. Lyle, what's your Mazel well, Tov uh, week? Mr. and Mrs. Butnik, uh, <laughs> I, am, I am very grateful. My Mazel Tov of the week uh, is to the Iranians who this week uh, have executed the most successful hostage uh, deal in history, receiving uh, $100 billion for, for four Americans. So good for you guys. I'm sure you would use the money wisely. And um, I, I have a farewell. I can't. We can't let the show end without saying goodbye to Glenn Fry. Last week, we said goodbye to David Bowie. Glenn Fry's impact on world arts is maybe not quite measuring up to that of the Thin White Duke, but um, for those of us who went to New England boarding schools in the mid-90s, the Eagles were the soundtracks of our lives, and um, I'll always have a peaceful, easy feeling when I think about him. So it's it's not, it's not a mazel tov to him for entering the pearly gates. Shalom to you. Shalom to you. Uh, we love mail, and in fact, we got a lot of it this week because I stupidly said on last week's show that you cannot be married, buried, or circumcised on the Sabbath. And I was two-thirds right. Weddings are not held on the Sabbath. Burials are not held on the Sabbath. But inexplicably to me, uh, circumcisions are. And the reason it's inexplicable is because, as the observant Jews among you know, uh, cutting is one of the 39 prohibited acts on the Sabbath. So I don't understand how it is that Some restrictions apply. Yeah, like, how is it that cutting paper is not allowed, cutting garments is not allowed? Cutting penis. But cutting penises is allowed on the Sabbath strikes me as odd. I thought I was on safe ground there. I was not. So, mea culpa. Um, thank you as to... As they say in uh, as they say it, As they say in Hebrew. Uh, thank you to the approximately 18,000 of you who wrote in to say that Oppenheimer is an idiot. Uh, circumcision totally permitted on the Sabbath. We love mail. If you have thoughts, comments, praise, or questions for our panel of experts, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. We might read them on the air. Unorthodox is edited by Julie Subrin and produced by Sarah Ivry. 
Rabbinic supervision this week is by our publisher, Morty Landau, whose grandson told that amazing joke. Kosher slaughtering is by Ted Cruz, of course. Our website is tabletmag.com, and our music is by Golem. Shalom, friends. <laughs>